Let's pray. <clears throat> My gracious God, we hear these words. <clears throat> Sometimes we have to confess we don't like to hear those words. But Father, you're a God who desires more than anything else that we walk with you. And Father, you desire more than anything else that we are people who trust and people who obey. So Father, as we close this book, Father, may you move our hearts to become the kind of people who love you and desire to serve you with all of our being. Amen. My hope is at the end of my message, which I will shorten a bit, we'll have some time, maybe 10 minutes, where you can either ask a question about the book of James, or I'd like to hear you say, you know, this book has impacted me in some way. So I want to reserve some time for that. You might want to think about that as we go through, and we'll have a mic that we can come to you. How has this book impacted your life? Or maybe you just have a a question that maybe I can address from this book. There's many, many layers of the book of James. Um, as, As we preach, it seems to me that we can only give you what is the heart and soul of the books that we cover. We need to understand that on a Sunday morning, it's not, we're not able to be able to give you all that you need to know for your spiritual growth and for your life. There's many layers of the book of James. We could go much, much deeper. Every phrase in the book of James is found somewhere, either in the Old Testament, the teachings of Jesus, or the apostolic witness. You can unpack the book on a much, much deeper level and see how this unfolds the whole Old Testament. But we want, when we preach on a particular book, is we want you to understand the heart and soul and the guts of these books that we cover. And I hope you've done that with the book of of James. The backdrop of this book historically is there's deep divisions and tensions within the context of the church. James talks about, and he's, he's the pastor to these folks who have been scattered all throughout the world. Many of them were Christians who are experiencing very, very difficult times. And he has a message for them. He has a message for them. He also has a message for those, the places that they go and they find out that there's people who are in the, the position of the haves and the position of power. And he has words for them. Every one of them has a message. Whatever category you are, the have or the have-nots are somewhere in the middle. This book has a message for you. And it's really important because what he wants is them to experience a community where they can work together with a deep concern for one another. When we make changes in our lives, I think it's important, this is an inside-out book. You don't make them by simply saying, I'm going to be more like this. I'm going to be more loving. I'm going to be more caring. I'm going to do more of those things. You might make decisions, but you have to understand that the Holy Spirit is the one who brings that about as we surrender to Him, as we ask Him to be the motivator and the one in our lives who transforms us. It's not about just doing the right behavior. It's about spirit-empowered life that we live. And it's so important in a book like this. We're on a journey. It's not a journey of perfection, it's a journey of growth. Sometimes when people hear that, they say, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing so well, look where I'm at. Well, every day you have to say before God, God, we're going to move me today. It's not about perfection, folks, it's about growth. It's about moving with God. And we're all on a journey. That phrase in James chapter 4 says, come near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. Um, You know, if we want to experience a life of joy, you know, what in the world is he talking about? This is the kind of thing we want to focus on, wail, and grieve, and mourn. 
But what he's talking about is repentance. He's talking about looking in the mirror, and he talks in this book about looking in the mirror of our lives. And folks, we have to do that. That's part of the growth process. We look at our lives. We put the microscope of God's truth into our lives, and we see where we're at. You want to experience genuine joy, and we're all about joy. That deep inner sense of joy, many times that comes through repentance, where we look at our lives and say, we're not where we ought to be with God. And by God's grace, I'm going to change that in my life. What wells up inside of us is this deep sense of joy, an aha feeling. Ah, I'm truly walking with God. The preface of James chapter uh, 4 and 5, which I'm just going to highlight, is James chapter 3, where he talks about two paths of wisdom. They are so contrasting. One is all contention and fighting and bitterness and earthly, unspiritual, demonic, selfish ambition. But the other one is peaceable, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy of good fruits. Folks, it's about choosing the right path in life. What direction are we going to go with our life? The contrasting worldviews that we see in these chapters in this book. There's a different heart, there's a different spirit. And he spells out in these chapters what a competing, a different worldview looks like. And so I'm going to talk for just a few moments about choosing the right path. I'm going to lay out contrasts that are there. I'm giving you the template. It's not following in the focus, the flow of the passage, because this book has interesting flow and not easy to follow. I'm providing a template that looks over these chapters and says, what is he saying to us? What he's saying to us is there's two paths of life. One, you can pursue a self-centered life. You can pursue that kind of life, and many, many people do. The other is following a Jesus-focused life. The common characteristics of James in chapter 4 and other writings of the apostles is that there are, for example, false teachers. And when you look at false teachers, they have one characteristic common with all of them. It's all about themselves. It's all about themselves, their self-elevation in themselves. And so I want you to think with me this morning for just a few moments. What kind of life are we going to live? What kind of life are we going to live? The first one is, I am a friend of the world, or I'm a friend of God. It's a choice we have to make. I beseech you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, Paul says, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be squeezed into the mold of this world, but be transformed, changed, by the renewing of your mind, that there you might understand the will of God. So the question becomes for us, what is it, a friend of the world? You adulteress, he said, do you not know that friendship of the world makes oneself an enemy of God? Folks, I'm not anti-culture. I'm not anti-world per se. But we have to think clearly as a Christian as we think about Christ and culture. There's competing systems in the world. The kingdom of God governed by the triune God and the kingdoms of this world all compile the same approach which is governed by Satan himself. There are two competing worlds. There's been much written in the life of the church about the subject of Christ and culture. The great Augustine, the city of God. Reinhold Niebuhr and Bonhoeffer, Christ and culture. C.S. Lewis, Christian Reflections. A wonderful book written by Francis Schaeffer, How Then Shall We Live?, Chuck Colson, Kingdoms in Conflict. Folks, it takes work and discernment to navigate as believers in these two competing kingdoms. I am all for experiential Christianity, that our relationship with Christ is lived out in our daily life. 
But you will not live it out unless you have your head on straight. That we understand and we think clearly as Christians, as believers. Otherwise we'll drift. We'll find ourselves becoming a friend of the value system of the world. Friendship is deep fellowship. Folks, we need to understand that we're pilgrims, wanderers, following our Savior with our feet on the ground, but our sights set on our eternal home. We're not isolationists, but we're not accommodationists either. Children, he says in John, 1 John or 2 John, walk in the truth. This is love that you keep my commandments. The love of God is keeping his commandments. Love the world, he says, don't love the world. If you love the world, the Father is not in you in 2 John. When I was growing up, folks, I grew up in a more fundamentalistic family and legalism was a big part of that. My fear today is legalism isn't so much, even though it's always latent in the church. But the issue today in the church is freedom and license. What Paul talks about license, that we're free to do whatever we want when we want to do it. And if you are, and if you do that, you will become a friend of the world and not a friend of God. So it's, folks, where does our allegiance lie? And the question is, are you God's friend? Today, as you look at your life, the question is, are you God's friend? Secondly, I think he says in James chapter 4, verse 13 through 16, the question becomes, am I going to run my life or am I going to let God run my life? He says, you go to such and such a city and you have this arrogant confidence that I'm going to do this and I'm going to take care of this and I'm going to govern my life. He says, you better be, you better be mindful that your life can be over in one instance. Here is the life of the person that says, I'm going to do what I want to do, I'm going to pursue my endeavors, and I don't care particularly what God thinks about it. Here's a person that pursues riches for the sake of riches. By the way, folks, there's no place in the Bible, or particularly the New Testament, that says a goal ought to become rich. There's no place in the Bible that sees that as a spiritual goal. Now, if one does become rich and says, I'm going to be generous for the good of the kingdom, oh, that's wonderfully virtuous. Wonderfully virtuous. There's nothing wrong with that. He says to us, we must be the people who say, if the Lord wills. There's two things we must understand, that God is still sovereign over this world. I appreciate Lori's prayer, which is a description of much of our world. But the God of the universe, in the, in the midst of all this, as he's navigating a world where he gave enormous amount of freedom, he still is sovereign and he's working his plan and we have to have the confidence that he's going to work his goodwill. But also there's a confidence in our lives. We have a loving, caring, heavenly Father. Read Romans 8. Humility means God can change our plans. We seek to be tuned with Him. His will for our lives. His clear will. The Scriptures. Subjective will. Hearing the voice of God. Hearing the voice of the Spirit. I might do a series next year, How People in the Bible Listened to God. That would be very interesting, isn't it? How people listen to God. The question for us is, who runs your life? Who runs your life? Who's in charge of your life? This is the question James asks. The other one is, I seek to harm people, verse, I restore people. Oh, that's such a tense passage in chapter 4, isn't it? All these tension and conflicts and struggles and fighting among each other. When we do, it's a self-centered motivation that wants what we want at the expense of other people. We're going to harm people, destroy people, 
Why? For my benefit. For my benefit. But you know, we're not about that in the kingdom of God. We're about restoring people. We're all about restoring people. Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, which is the backdrop for 519, that verse, he talks about, that's a whole chapter about the church, Matthew chapter 18. And what he's using, the imagery of the sheep that wander off, in the other Gospels, it's, it's people who are unbelievers. But this one, I believe, is believers. When you see a believer who wanders off, do we care enough to be care enough for that person to go and help them be restored back to the kingdom? Verse five, chapter five, nineteen of James says, "We need to restore people who wander off, because it will help them so much in their lives if we reach in their lives and say, this is where you're going. I care so much about you.' That restoration. We're about restoring people. We're not about harming people." What about caring, restoring people to the kingdom? And the question is, how are we treating people? Are we about restoration in our lives? He also, he talks about, I think, his hidden motives verse, I am honest and truthful. He talks about wrong motives, which are hidden motives of the heart. Lust, desiring what they want. When we start getting into those categories, we start manipulating people for our own gain. Hidden motives, hidden agendas, hidden things that we're trying to do. Really, in a sense, it, 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 it's not about the well-being of another person. Again, it always focuses on what we want. Motives of the heart. All of Jesus' great Sermon of the Mount really goes about motives of the heart. And he uses the same phrase that James does. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Why does he say that? Because he wants us to be honest and truthful. We're no deception as the people of faith. We're straightforward. What you see is what you get. Yes means yes, and no means no, and I'm not about hidden motives. Often hidden motives are so destructive. And he wants us to think about that. And the question becomes, how honest and truthful are you, me, in my life? Another one very, very important is I want to pursue short-term gain. That's the self-centered life. But I want to pursue long-term good. Jesus' teachings, uh, riches at the expense of others, exploiting others for their own gain. You see, it's when riches and power are used inappropriately. For my own good, for my own gain. I'll use people just so I can accomplish what I want, my goal. Again, 1 John talks about ignoring others when you could minister to others with the resources you have. It's a short-term gain. I'm going to grab all the gusto I can get. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow I die. That's not the perspective of the people of faith. In order to have good community, we've got to be patient. He says, be patient. Stand firm in what we hold true. In the midst of suffering, in light of the return of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. We're not about a short-term gain for my own good. You see the motivation of all these? On the other side, I pursue long-term good. I want to be patient. I'm, I'm going to stand firm, even in the midst of suffering and difficulty. And the question there becomes, what is your goal in life? What are your goals in life? What are you pursuing? So to recap those questions, I want you to think about this week. How are you God's friend? Are you God's friend? Who runs your life? How are you treating people? Are you truthful? How truthful and honest are you? And what are your goals in life? 
This book has encouraged us to really consider some important things. He starts out this book of James with there's joy in the midst of difficulties and trials. There's redemptive value for going through hard times, folks. And all of us are going to experience that. And these folks were going through terribly hard times. And even instead of just being envious of what others have and clawing for wish, getting what you don't have, he said there's a better way that even in the midst of that, you realize that God is at work in your life. And what is he teaching us as we go through those difficult times? He talks in this book about treating each other with dignity. How we treat each other is a central feature of the book of James. I hope you explore it deeper. It talks about indicators of genuine faith. You can't say you have genuine faith and it doesn't impact your life. It's not possible. With time, the fruits of the Spirit and Christ-like qualities will start unfolding in your life over time if your faith is genuine. Last week, Colin gave a great message on how we speak to each other. Our words, gracious words versus cutting words. And I think he leaves us in this lesson with choosing the right path. We have a choice to make. Which direction are we going to go? Is it all about us and a self-centered life? Or is it all about a life that's focused and riveted to follow Jesus faithfully all the days of our lives? He gives us that choice. With that, we've got ten minutes. I did do pretty good. I usually can shorten that up if I have to time it. So, any questions or comments you might have? Has this impacted you, this book? Or is there maybe a question you have? It's, there's a lot of questions in a book like this. It's quite a significant book. Anybody? You want to know something? If you ask my wife what's my least virtuous quality, it's a lack of patience. I am not a patient person. I think I'm patient with people, but I'm terribly impatient with process. So I'll try to be out. Back off. Do I want to give Steve the mic? <laughs> no. I just look at those questions and I think about the life of Jesus. Yeah. And um, kind of use Jesus' life as a template for those questions and then make that into prayer. Yeah. That's really good. Thanks, Steve. You don't realize how far it is to walk over here until everyone's watching you. <laughs> and I'm probably one who doesn't really need a mic. <laughs> um, so I look at those questions and think about the series, and I think God is so patient. If people were like that way back then, and we're still like that. Um, so is Jesus our only hope? Is the Bible our only <laughs> true guide yeah yes it's 
it's yeah. hard it's hard work yeah and again I just want to remind you it's not that we will these things to happen that becomes a legalism or behaviorism that can be dangerous it doesn't mean that we have to make hard heads on heads up choices we do but we always have to recognize that it birthed in us through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. And we have to be dependent at that level. Otherwise, we just become people who just go through the motions. It doesn't have a heart. This is an inside-out book. And so, yes, I think that. And where do we establish our view of life? What, how does that unpack for us? It's a, it's, a, it's a special revelation of the sacred word. Certain things we can deduce by reason, but then we have to realize the place of the scriptures in our lives. It is essential that we, for example, take the book of James and say, now my own personal life, which we are responsible for, I'm going to go deeper. Or I'm going to get together with a group of people. I'm going to talk about this because I've got some things in my heart. Sunday morning isn't enough for all that. Okay? One or two more and then we'll sing our song. Anybody? Back, way in the back. Everyone watch. Here I go. Okay. You got the best seat in the house back there. I need some traveling music, Chaz. All right. <laughs> Best seat in the house. I just have a personal testimony for the book of James. It's always been my favorite. Mm -hmm. And when I was a teenager, I struggled a lot. I know this. It's going to be hard to believe with my tongue. <laughs> so I memorized the passage from chapter 3 of James about the tongue. Restless evil, full of deadly poison. And I encourage those of you to pick a passage um, out of the book of James and memorize it. It really makes a difference. Well... I'm still working on it. As a new Christian, these really got to me, and I would just be in tears and saying, Lord, I'm so far away from all of these, and what am I going to do? And, and he said, it's not up to you, it's up to me. As long as you are genuinely, earnestly seeking me, I'll never let you down, and I will always be the one to tell you where you are going wrong. Not in a condemning way, he taught me that Satan, but in a loving, convicting way where you go, oh, okay, oh. I see that. Now I get it. Thank you, Lord. So, as a new Christian, James was kind of, I don't know, I, I wasn't really crazy about it because it, <laughs> it always felt like I was always coming up short, which I do, but it's because of his love and his patience and his doing it all for me that I will continue on to hope that he continues, I know he will, show me where I'm falling down. So that's all. I that's have great. To say. That's great, Cheryl. Folks, it's not so much where we're at, it's the direction we're moving. It's not so much where we're at, it's the direction we're moving. Where are we moving? Every one of us are in different places spiritually. You can't compare yourself to somebody else. You know? They're on they're on their journey. But where are we moving? I think that's the question. Where are we, how are we moving? Amen.